Welcome to the Faculty New Books podcast, covering the latest authors and publications from across the subject spectrum. During the Second World War, approximately 600,000 young women were absorbed into the three British Women's Auxiliary Services. So these were the Women's Auxiliary Air Force, the WAF, the Auxiliary Territorial Service, the ATS, and the Women's Royal Naval Service, the WRNS, or RENS, as they were commonly known. These forces uh, performed a variety of military functions in support of the RAF, the Army, and the Royal Navy, both at home and overseas. And in many cases, women served alongside men. Prime Minister Winston Churchill contributed a daughter to each of these forces, But perhaps the most notable recruit was the king's elder daughter, 18-year-old Princess Elizabeth. She joined the ATS in early 1945 as second subaltern Windsor, and she was trained as a driver and in vehicle maintenance at a mechanical transport training centre in Camberley in Surrey. So what the book does, or at least tries to do, is trace the wartime history of these women's auxiliary services and the integration of women into the armed forces. And within that, look, it looks at some of the challenges that they faced in entering the male military sphere. And this is done through a series of thematic chapters on various aspects of service life. And these chapters begin with the establishment of the women's forces shortly before the outbreak of the war, and they end with the demobilization of service women and the creation of the permanent post-war women's forces. And what I've tried to do along the way is combine the organizational history of these forces with some of the experiences of the service women so that hopefully we get a, a rounded view of events. Well, at the start of the war, the range of jobs undertaken by the women's services was very limited in scope. Across the forces, they were employed in just a handful of jobs that could be described as conventionally applicable to women. So jobs such as cooks, clerks, orderlies, motor drivers, communication workers. However, once hostilities commenced, new job opportunities soon opened up. First of all, manpower shortages compelled the military authorities to broaden the span of employment in order to release servicemen for competent duties. But also, as women proved themselves competent in their new military roles, so the male service establishment became more sanguine about extending their functions further. And over the course of the war, there was a dramatic expansion in the variety of jobs open to service women, many of which were customarily masculine in nature. So we see women performing such roles as welders, electricians, flight mechanics, armorers, uh, dispatch riders, barrage balloon operators, and so on. Perhaps most notably, women in the ATS were employed to operate the fire control instruments in mixed-sex anti-aircraft gun batteries. Now, this was quite controversial at the time, since women were not supposed to be employed in combat roles, 
and there was opposition to employing them on isolated gun sites alongside the male gunners. However, the shortage of manpower and the need to defend the country against their attack compelled the military authorities to overcome their scruples, and they were able to claim that the women's non-competent status was protected because while the women helped to locate the enemy aircraft and direct the gunfire, it was the men who actually pulled the lever to fire the guns. I should, um, I should add that the non-competent principle also led to the rather bizarre situation of women undertaking guard duty at these gun sites equipped only with a stick and a whistle. It's also worth noting uh, that members of the WAF were closely involved in operations at the RAF bases as intelligence officers, plotters, wireless operators and so on. And sometimes they were first-hand witnesses to the agonies of flyers in combat. One WAF intelligence officer, for example, remembered that her team would intercept Luftwaffe radio traffic and be able to listen into uh, German formation leaders ordering their aircraft to die to dive onto unwitting RAF fighter pilots below, but to their great frustration, they had no means of warning them in time. They also facilitated the destruction of enemy aircraft. Uh, on one occasion, the same intelligence officer was instructed to call in a, a flight of Spitfires when they detected a familiar German reconnaissance pilot operating on his usual beat. She heard him shot down in flames and his desperate cries for help, and she regarded herself in part as being his executioner. Service women also played a prominent role in the more secretive aspects of the war. Female personnel were, for example, well represented at Bletchley Park, where they were employed in a number of duties related to the deciphering of German signals sent by the Enigma machines. They were also deployed at the Western Approaches Tactical Unit, where they played out anti-submarine war games with the naval officers to uh, test their uh, tactics in convoy battles. Photographic interpretation was another role they performed, and in this regard, a WAF officer Constant Babington Smith is credited with making the first identification of a German V-1 flying bomb. She and her team spotted a small cruciform shape on a ramp while they were studying aerial photographs of the German experimental uh, facility at Peenemunde. And this eagle-eyed discovery indicated that a flying bomb attack across the channel was imminent. Uh, in fact, Babington Smith was later described as the outstanding Allied authority on the interpretation of aircraft photographs. The decision to deploy service women abroad was not taken lightly by the authorities, and safeguards were put in place to ensure their safety and well-being. And by the end of the war, some 30,000 female personnel were serving overseas. But despite the best intentions of the military authorities to keep them out of harm's way, there were occasions when they were sucked into combat zones. In the Middle East, for example, women ambulance drivers were drawn 
into forward areas in Egypt as the Axis forces advanced across the desert. In northwest Europe, female gunners were utilized in the anti-aircraft firing line to help combat the V-weapons. And in Italy, one intrepid ATS officer even apprehended a senior enemy commander. This servicewoman was appointed to run a civil affairs unit whose task it was to administer newly liberated territories until civil government was restored. And when she arrived in Cremona, the German officer in charge of the enemy garrison emerged from his hiding place and personally surrendered to her rather than face the wrath of the partisans.